1: Lori Ashikawa is my guest, and I love talking to Lori so much. I'm doing it twice. It's like deja vu. It's like Groundhog Day, that movie Groundhog Day. We wake up and do the same thing over and over again. Lori, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you.
0: Thanks for having me back.
1: Uh, Let's what try happened, to change we, history. Uh, we, um, uh, What happened was that Lori and I had a conversation, and for some reason the recording didn't work out. So Lori is a really great sport. Uh, to do it a second time, and I, can't, I thank you, I you the first time for coming on, and I thank you again uh, for uh, the retry, the reboot, the Deja Vu Groundhog Day. Lori is with Indivisible Illinois. Uh, she's an activist, and she's very involved in efforts to protect the vote of Wisconsin and to also get Chicagoans to participate, to vote by mail. Um, and uh, very two very important goals if the Democrats are to prevail if we're to take back our country from the lunatics who have seized it. Uh, so Lori, uh, why don't you start a little bit just as we did before. Talk, tell people a little bit how you got involved with Indivisible Illinois and how uh, you became uh, an activist dedicated uh, to uh, winning this election. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, well, um, so well, I'm from California originally. I'm a third generation Japanese American and my grandparents, um, immigrated to the United States in the early 20th century. Um, I was a little bit act- active, um, in activism when I was in high school and then I kind of went into hibernation for 30 years. <laughs> and when the, after Trump was elected in 2016, um, you know, we were told, oh, the midterms will be coming up and you better get ready for that. And all of a sudden, it was 2018, and I hadn't really done anything. And a friend of mine, who is also a musician, as I am, she was taking her two kids who were ages at 10 and 12, around. Um, She was taking them canvassing with her for Lauren Underwood, and I just felt kind of shamed that if she could take her two children canvassing, then certainly I could try to do it, even though... I was a little bit fearful of both canvassing and phone banking. So I went online and I think I found the swing left site that had a lot of different options. And I was able to sign up to do a few shifts of, of, um, canvassing. And then lo and behold, I found a group that was doing things in my neighborhood. And that was indivisible IL nine, which is, um, Andersonville edgewater. And I could walk to those meetings since they were, just uh, up the street from me, so I no longer had an excuse not to be involved. And then once I got um, hooked in with Indivisible IL-9, there was definitely plenty to do.
1: Well, let's uh, talk about uh, some of the things that you have to do. By the way, just so people know, uh, Lauren Underwood is the uh, congresswoman from the 14th Congressional. Uh, It was sort of an upset victory, a great triumph for her in 2018. She won. She defeated an incumbent Republican in a district that had gone for Donald Trump and gave a lot of hope to uh, Democrats throughout the country, not just the state of Illinois, that they could prevail in 2020 if candidates like Lauren Underwood were successful. All right. So you talk about uh, you, you, you meet fellow activists in your neck of the woods and there's a lot to be done. What are some of the things at the top of list that have to be done?
0: Yeah. So right now um, we are concentrating on Wisconsin because we feel, as do many others, that Wisconsin is the path to the to the White House. Um, and so we have been doing phone banking, which, as I said before, was not one of my favorite things to do, but since there's not the option of canvassing, um, phone banking is really the most important and um, most effective thing that you can do right now. And I have to say, I love postcards, but phone banking is way more effective because you're actually having conversations with people. And I will go into that a little bit more because I'm also phone banking in Illinois, um, but we've had some really meaningful conversations with people. And I think a lot of people are experiencing hardship because of the pandemic and fear and just, you know, social unrest. And they want to talk to people and they want someone to reach out to them because they feel a little bit helpless. So what we started doing was um, we have every Wednesday morning, we have something called Working Wednesdays and um we're doing it with Indivisible IL-9 through through um, a virtual platform. So mm-hmm. we actually have people who are coming and joining us from California. We've had someone from Boston. We've had um, D.C. and Virginia, I think. So we've been all over. I mean, it doesn't really matter where you live anymore. And what we do is we call into Wisconsin and try to recruit people to be um, poll- Workers and poll observers and also people to do more phone banking such as we're doing to recruit people. But at this point, we only have about eight more days to recruit poll workers because um, they closed their trainings on October 14th. So we're trying to rush and do as many phone banks as we can to recruit these people. And we are really successful generally um, in our about one and a half hour to one in one hour, 45 minute period. We usually get about five poll workers or observers, which is a really good amount for, for that amount of time. And there are other groups that are also doing the same thing at different times of the day. Ours just happens to be that morning time slot.
1: And what is the difference between a poll worker and a poll observer?
0: Yeah. So a poll worker, it is a paid position and, uh, Depending on which um, area you, you live in, it pays something between $130 to 200 and something. I can't remember the exact amount. $200 for the day. And you have to go through training um, in order to be able to do that. And a pole worker is its an indoor position, so you're at the pole pretty much all day. And I, I think you have to live in that jurisdiction, although that, that might have been eased. Uh, The rules for that recently. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, the poll worker basically um, helps to administer the election. And um, then the poll observer, that is not a paid position. That's a volunteer position. And basically you go to the polls, um, you go inside and you you witness to make sure that things are running smoothly. If you see someone who's sick or if you see Anything that's out of order, if a machine is not working, if they don't have enough people being poll workers, if they don't have um, curbside voting set up with clear mm-hmm. signage to let people know that um, if they have a disability or if they're immunocompromised, they can vote at street side, um, then you report that and they send someone out to fix that problem. And you also kind of are... You're on the lookout for any kind of voter suppression. Um, I know that we heard in the presidential debate Donald Trump saying that he was going to send poll observers uh, to make sure that the polls were being um, watched fairly. That made me very nervous because I'm assuming that those aren't trained people, that those are maybe poll intimidators instead of poll observers. Yeah.
1: Yeah, big difference between a poll intimidator and a poll observer, that's for sure. Well, you mentioned uh, phone banking and talking to uh, voters in Wisconsin. Are these voters, are they undecided? Are they uh, intending to vote for Biden or are they Trump voters? uh, The
0: the, mm -hmm. the phone bank lists that we are working from are Democrats. So they're usually people who are really happy to hear from you. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of them are senior citizens who don't want to go into the polls because of fear of COVID. And um, I think they've tried to weed the, I can't remember what the age cutoff is, but I noticed when I was doing my phone bank this morning, um, there were some people in their early 60s, but a lot of them were more 30s and 40s, which is, is considered fine. Usually, um, and in that case, it's just a matter of personal preference, but they have PPE for you and, you know, they're trying to keep, um, things safe as far as COVID inside the poll. However, in Wisconsin, um, poll workers and poll observers are required to wear masks, but they cannot insist that a voter wear a mask, um, So that can be really problematic. They could have a a separate location though for um, a voter who refuses to wear a mask. They could try to send them to a different booth to keep them as far away from the workers as possible and as far away from other voters.
1: Wow, that's bizarre in and of itself. Is that uh, just Wisconsin or is it the same in Illinois in terms of not requiring people uh, to have masks? at polling places.
0: I think, well, I, I know it's just Wisconsin. I think in, in Illinois, I'm not positive with Illinois, but I mean, since we're required to wear a mask to go into restaurants, I'm assuming it's the same here. Yeah. that You should be wearing a mask inside the polling place.
1: Yeah, that is that's, uh, that's a strange aspect of this culture wars that's breaking out uh, over wearing masks. One of the concerns uh, is uh, Lori regarding voting by uh, mail in many states, not just Wisconsin, is the the requirement that you have to get somebody to sign. Uh, sort of like a, the, an affidavit, almost, that they witnessed you uh, voting. I find that very peculiar. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so in Wisconsin, not only do they have uh, very stringent laws in place for applying for your ballot, you have to um, you have to send in a picture of your driver's license or some kind of official ID when you make your application for the ballot and for for a lot of seniors who don't have smartphones that's that's very difficult for them and also people who don't have um, connection to the internet they'd have to do some kind of mailing in system Um, but once you get your mail-in ballot you um, you are required to have someone witness you voting so basically you take your mail-in ballot you show it to someone hopefully you live with someone but you know not everyone lives with someone else. And so I've heard of people having to show it because of the pandemic. They'd have to show their ballot to someone through their window. Um, They show it to them while it's still blank. Then they go and they hide (laughs) and they vote. And then the person on the other side of the window is watching them put it into the envelope. Then they have to pass the envelope out to the person on the street (laughs) who is watching them. And that person has to sign the envelope and put their address as the witness. Then they pass it back to you inside your house and you sign it. And only after that point um, can you send it in. And the other thing is that um, they're emphasizing that you have to be really careful that you don't try to reopen your envelope or make sure you have a really clean seal because they don't want it to look like someone tried to open it and uh, change your vote. <laughs>
1: and uh, these are rules that apply to everyone, uh, Republicans as well as Democrats, I should point out. Now, in my humble opinion, I believe uh, these are intended uh, to discourage Democratic voters uh, from turning out. But as I may have said to you before, a lot of Donald Trump's voters are older voters. A lot of Donald Trump's voters may live alone. And so, right. inadvertently, Trump may be causing problems for his supporters as well.
0: No, definitely. I mean, it would anger me if I was an older voter and I had all these impediments to vote. I mean, it's just it's just so difficult if you have any kind of a disability or you live alone or you're not computer savvy. And a lot of people that I've talked to are not
1: computer savvy, especially of the older generation. Yeah, I'm not, I'm of the older generation. I'm not particularly computer savvy <laughs> either. So my, I'm very sympathetic uh, and I can't stand bureaucracy. Uh, and um, I'm really hoping, I told you this before, I'm really hoping that Donald Trump filled out his form wrong uh, and did something that would cause a, uh, a, a, election judge in Florida and Donald Trump is voting absentee, voting by mail to Florida, to just throw it out. Uh, That would be uh, beyond ironic and I would enjoy it immensely. What are some of the other concerns that people in Wisconsin have as they approach this election?
0: Well, one of the things um, that Wisconsin the Wisconsin Democrats have done which is really wonderful is they've set up a voter protection hotline and when i was phone banking for Jill Karofsky in the April election which uh, judge Karofsky won that position on the supreme court which was so amazing um i I was directing people who had any kind of questions at all to go to the voter protection hotline. And it's a number that is staffed by uh, volunteers who have been trained in Wisconsin election law. And if you are manning that, or womening, like I like to say, that hotline, you're going to get all kinds of questions. Like, have I filled out my my absentee ballot correctly? Where do I take it? What do I do if I've done this? What do I do if I've moved? And you can direct those questions to the appropriate person. Um, I wish we had something like that in Illinois, actually, because there are a lot of questions that could be simply answered, you know, by someone with a little bit more experience. And because of all the misinformation out there, I think that people are really nervous and and they really want their vote to count, especially in Wisconsin. So there's that voter protection hotline. Um, Another thing that we are doing is um, currently you don't have to live in the state of Wisconsin to be a poll observer. So there are a number of people who are going to Wisconsin from other states to help with that poll observation process.
1: Uh, and uh, so that's the state of Wisconsin. The reason why I keep emphasizing it, of course, is that uh, Wisconsin uh, is is known for its uh, progressive politics. It went for Trump in 2016. Uh, and... If the Democrats are going to win, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan are the big three. And those are the three very important states. They were supposed to be Democratic states uh, in the Hillary Clinton-Donald Trump election. They went for Trump. And if the Democrats flip that, it's over. And they will uh, recapture the White House. Some of the pressure is being taken off. Uh, Lori, I don't know if you've been following this, but uh, Trump is actually trailing Biden in other states that Trump won. Uh, Arizona, for instance. Florida, Florida. So a little pressure is taken off Wisconsin, but it's still a very important state, and symbolically, it's very important, uh, Lori, because um, it has such a great progressive past.
0: Right, and also you don't, you know, you would hope that that Biden would win by a larger margin because you don't want to give Trump any um, points that he could say, "Oh, this is not a fair election," or. Um, you don't want too much of a delay in counting the the votes after November
1: 3rd. Well, we'll get into, we'll, we'll close with a little discussion about dealing uh, with the uh, psychological games that Donald Trump plays. Get your advice. You have interesting advice for people on that front. All right, let's move on to Chicago. And uh, there's an effort by many uh, activists in Chicago with the pandemic to encourage people to vote by mail. Uh, as opposed to going to the polls themselves. Talk about voting by mail in Chicago and Cook County.
0: Yeah, so um, Indivisible Illinois started a campaign back when uh, Governor Pritzker made the law that um, people who had voted in the last three elections would automatically get applications for ballots and we wanted to make sure that people knew about that law and also that people knew that you could be 16 years old and be an election judge. So we tried to create um, a many-pronged system of getting that information out into the universe, the Illinois universe, and we started it with a vote-by-mail task force, and they have used... I I guess it was that the um, Illinois State Board of Elections wanted us to use social media as much as possible. So we started to have weekly Twitter storms on Wednesdays from 12 to 2, and we've been really, really successful with that. But we also acknowledge that there are a lot of people who don't have access. To computers or don't have broadband. And we wanted to especially try to reach into some of those communities who don't get that mainstream media or aren't able to apply for um, a ballot on a computer. So we started um, a, a diversity and inclusion, equity and inclusion committee, and we started meeting with different groups. Um, one of the groups we met with is a group that I've been working a lot with, which is the Institute for Nonviolence Chicago, which exists in um, the Austin neighborhood. And that organization, it's an amazing organization. They've done a lot of work with street outreach teams going out into neighborhoods to break up violence uh, before it happens. So there are people who really know the neighborhoods um, and they know, People, they may have grown up with a lot of people in the neighborhood, so they know what's going on. And when the pandemic hit, um, a lot of those teams pivoted from breaking up possible hotspots to um, actually being health workers because they were going out, they were handing out PPE, they were talking about people, uh, talking to people about how to be safe with COVID-19. And when we went to them and told them we, we were trying to get into some of these communities to get information about voting safely, they um, helped hook us up with the Communities Partnering for Peace, which it's CP4P, and it's an organization that's under um, a city uh, social service group, the Metropolitan Family Services. And what CP4P does is it has targeted 22 different communities in the Chicago area that are most likely to be affected by, um, by gun violence. And so what we were able to do is we were able to print out palm cards through um, uh, donations from volunteers in Indivisible, Illinois and on the task force. And we were able to print out 7,500 cards and get them distributed oh. to these 22 neighborhoods and the street outreach workers are taking them out into the communities, and they've all been briefed on what to say. I mean, there's certain things, you know, that people in the community need to know, such as if you are returning um, after a felony conviction, you need to re-register that you can vote if you're on probation or on parole. So that is really, really important because a lot of people really want to vote, but they they think that they can't vote. And um, we're also trying to educate on – Their early voting locations, and you know, that they can take a a mail in ballot to a Dropbox. They don't have to depend on the mail, because a lot of people are suspicious about what may happen to the US mail, and rightly so. I mean, there's been long lines at post offices on the South Side that I've heard about. And um, once you tell people, oh, you can just take it to a Dropbox, they feel so much better. (laughs) And then the the other thing that we're doing is um, we're doing phone banks into those 22 communities. To um, so do the same thing, just to inform them about how to do a mail-in ballot. And if they have not gotten a mail-in ballot, where they can go for early voting, which starts October 14th. Um, so we've really been pushing that so that a lot of people won't, won't be crowding into the polls on November 3rd. Because, as we know, a lot of people love to vote on November 3rd because it's just a big tradition. I mean, people have said to me, well, that's when I see all my friends, especially a lot of old timers, you know, yeah. they just really feel like that's their celebratory day to go out, but not in a pandemic. We just don't want people to be putting themselves at risk like that.
1: Yeah, well, I could tell you right now, um, I will be voting in person whether I do it before the election or the actual day I have that decided probably before probably uh, I'm going to follow Rose's advice and Rose Colesino is a guest on the show many times and she'll be coming on uh, next week as well and we're going to take a deeper dive and some of the fears that people have and their apprehensions uh, she's going to pr- she's promised to answer every single question I throw at her let's see if I can stump her Lori uh, but uh, I, I'm one of those voters Lori. i like voting in person and uh so uh, i'm willing to take the chance uh, but I, I, I do appreciate the fact that vote by mail is is here and one uh, you dealt with before let's just deal with it again this concern that people have uh, registered to me is that if they apply to get a ballot to vote by mail and then change their mind and decide they want to vote in person what do they do
0: Okay, so if you have applied, well, here's the thing that is really wonderful. If you've applied online, the Chicago Board of Elections is supposed to send you four different emails. One when they receive your application. One when they have um, processed it and sent out your ballot to you. And then another one, I think, when they receive your ballot back, I guess if you drop it in a drop box or mail it. And then there's a fourth one. Maybe that's when it's, when it's actually... Um, tabulated or something. I can't remember, but it's all on the ChicagoElections.gov website. There's all this information that's really, really valuable and pretty easy to find. So let's say that you received your vote by mail ballot in the mail and then you decided you just wanted to go and you saw that there was not a long line at the early voting site in your ward. Um, So what you would do is you would take that ballot with you and you would have them void it before you vote. So you would have to basically turn it in, um, exchange it for you being able to vote in person. Now, as I was saying to Ben before, if the dog eats your ballot, you can still vote. Um, you just would have to cast a provisional ballot, which is not ideal just because it takes longer uh, because when you cast a provisional ballot, a lot of times you would do that if you didn't if they couldn't track down your ID so they have to go do uh, some research and so you don't get counted quite as early as everyone else and we know that you know with people sitting on pins and needles after the election we want these uh, ballots to get counted as soon as possible so try not to lose your ballot if you ordered one uh, by mail but don't be intimidated if if it did go down the toilet (laughs) because you can still vote
1: yeah and and by the way i'll just emphasize this point illinois is considered a uh a blue state in other words, Joe Biden is expected to win here. So there's some attitude about some uh, jaded Chicagoans I know. Like, Ben, why, am I, why should I even bother, man? My vote doesn't count anyway. And, and I, I say this. I say, first of all, it does count. Uh, and second of all, if you, everybody has that attitude, Illinois won't be blue. Uh, but third, and more to the point with this election, Lori, this election is also about sending a message and Um, so the larger the margin of victory joe biden has the less validity uh, donald trump would have when he does his belly aching and crying and whining which you know he will do so that's i feel a vote in illinois strategically is a very important vote what's your thoughts on this
0: Yes, no, I totally agree. And it, it's the same thing, you know, when people ask you to call your congressperson, and I think, well, you know, of course, Dick Durbin and, and Tammy Duckworth, they're going to believe as I believe, because they're progressive. Um, but that's really not the reason, not the only reason you would call them on different um, issues. It, it's because they need to know that they have your support behind them. And so it still is really, really important to call them. I mean, just think if you were sitting in your little room just trying to do to rally up support for someone and no one no one came to to cheer you on. I mean, we just feel very lonely. And and there might be times when you would wonder, well, do people really want this? So I think that's our role to support that. But the other super, super important reason for people to vote is because of the fair tax. Yes. And I think that that is something that this state really needs. I mean, we have this antiquated flat tax that we've had since the 1970s. And um, we really need to do something to start to chip away at this deficit. And, um, you know, more and more people are saying there were people who were doing roundtables for the mayoral budget. Uh, in the last few weeks, and the thing that kept coming up uh, with people is that that we do need more money in for social services and things like mental health. And so when we've been doing these phone bank calls into these underserved uh, neighborhoods, a lot of people don't know about the fair tax, but when you explain it to them, they are completely on board, and then they realize why it's really important, especially in those neighborhoods that they vote for the amendment to the
1: Illinois Constitution to vote yes. Yeah, that's obviously there's important local elections as well. And fair tax is uh, right there at the top of the list. We talk about the fair tax on this show all the time. Uh, all right, uh, Lori. <laughs> yeah, no, we're big fair tax people. Um, I've been pushing for a progressive tax in the state of Illinois. For, uh, I think I wrote my first article on this subject back in the early 90s. So uh, it's been a long road, and I'm watching the tactics that the opposition is using, Lori, to try to undercut this. I mean, we were talking about the national election, but um, and it's laughable. Uh, the right, you know, well, first, the, the
0: thing, yeah, yeah to seniors to tell them that it's going to cut into their uh, retirement money—it's really terrible.
1: All right, let me just deal with that really fast. I just have to say it. I cannot help myself. You raise this up, I'm going to say it. There are few things in life more cynical than a collection of conservative activists who are dedicated to taking away people's pensions in the state of Illinois, trying to get pensioneers to vote against the, the fair tax, which would fortify their pensions. They're trying to use right. scare people to voting against a fair tax, which would fortify their pensions. Uh, using, <laughs> making up this notion that somehow or other, uh, the state is going to tax you. It's, I, I listen, I hesitate to say it's the most cynical thing I've ever seen in Illinois politics because I've lived through eight years of Rahm Emanuel. But it's pretty cynical. Okay, can I just tell you that? And I'll be dealing with that in future articles. Uh, Final question for you, Lori. You were giving me some great advice in our first go-around. How to deal with a bully. You know, so many uh, liberals that I know, lefties I know, just freak out. Uh, Donald Trump is unrelenting. He loves to get it under their skin. He knows all the tricks of the trade. He learned it from his days uh, in the Wrestling Federation. And uh, he lives to fire up his constituents and annoy the hell uh, out of his opponents. Uh, what advice do you have to people to try to sort of tune him out?
0: So is this the blood pressure part of the conversation?
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was counseling Ben on how to cut down on his blood pressure. Anyway, um, well, I liken, um, you know, the, the noise that you hear coming from him and from people who want to raise to fear monger monger, basically. I just liken that to, to the sound of a train going over your head and how it's, it's really hard to think when you have all this noise um, competing with your calm thoughts. And so I, I just feel that um, the way we can get the most done is by learning how to block that noise somehow and just really, Buckle down and have a clear goal, and just keep going on, (laughs) and just try try to ignore that noise and not give it too much attention. Because when you give it attention, that makes it more powerful. And I I think back to this is really no longer that pertinent anymore. But when I was growing up as a child in Pasadena, California, Mm -hmm. down the street from my house was the John Birch Society, and I remember when I was in sixth grade. I went to go interview them. And, you know, here I was, this naive little kid going in and interviewing. And my mom had been incarcerated by the American government during World War II because she was Japanese-American. And here I am going into basically a white supremacist organization to interview them. And, And after I did that, though, people kept saying, you know, don't. Don't give them too much power. Don't listen to them. And I I sort of feel the same way about the noise that's coming from Trump. Although the thing that's different now is that we do have to acknowledge that there is this white supremacy movement that's out there. I mean, we can't ignore it. Um, But I think that you have to keep in mind what you're trying to do and try to separate the fact from the fiction and not let the fiction overwhelm you with its negativity.
1: That's good advice, Lori. All right, if folks want to get involved with uh, Indivisible Illinois, how do they get in touch with you? Uh,
0: So let's see. One thing you could do is you can go to the Indivisible Illinois Facebook group and uh, join that group, and then you'll get information. If you want to get involved with the Wisconsin effort, uh, particularly with voter protection, I would go to the word mobilize. So it's M-O-B-I-L-I-Z-E dot U-S backwards slash V P W as in um, Democratic Party Wisconsin. And that they have there all the, the different um, efforts as far as working uh, against uh, I mean working for voter protection in Wisconsin. And the one other place which is really great is um, one of our indivisible IL nine members. Karen has um, a website persistlist dot org and she lists a lot of um, opportunities for activism in uh, the city. And then lastly, I want to put in a plug. If you really need a break, from all that's going on, I have a really fun art project that I'm working on that also uh, grew out as a vote-by-mail task force, and it's called designyourvote.com, and we're asking for people to make submissions uh, of any kind of art. It could be a photograph of you doing activism. It's all about how we see our future turning out and what happens when we vote. So you can go to that website, designyourvote.com, to see examples of the art. And maybe you can take a little break from what you're doing and you can submit some kind of artwork to us. You don't even have to be an artist. You can just take a picture of yourself doing postcards.
1: Uh, I, and, uh, I think I'll have Dennis, uh, draw a picture. That'll, uh, (laughs) he's laughing at me. Uh, yeah, both put Dennis to work. Uh, Lori, thank you so much. You're a real trooper and you're a really great sport. And I appreciate you doing this not once, but twice. Uh, and all that good work is going to win in Wisconsin. And I'm going to give you all the credit. All right, Lori. Yes. Thanks so much for
0: having me.
1: All right, uh, uh, Laurie, thank you very much. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.